650, get involved in the inbox in the second half of the show here. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Ken Priestley joining us here in just a moment. Dave from Abbey, we were talking about Kuzmenko earlier. Kuzmenko, it's got to skate hard, check hard, get back to basics. You know, the one thing I've actually liked about Kuzmenko, which is why I kind of gave him a pass these you know, a couple of weeks ago when I was on uh, Connect Central with Reach, is I felt like he was back-checking fairly well. But here recently, the, the forechecking, uh, not so great. Not so great. That's why he found himself on the bench and finds himself today on a line with Nils Oman and PDG when they drop the puck at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650 versus the Minnesota Wild. Let's get into a bunch of stuff here with Ken Priestley, former NHLer, two-time cup champion, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, Dunbar Lumber and Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Ken, how are you? Doing very well, Bick. Yourself? Uh, excellent. Uh, game day, it's always a uh, fired up affair when uh, we get to be in Rogers Arena. And Andre Kuzmenko has been taking a lot of the headlines here recently. Uh, now, you know, goal scorers can go through slumps, it's no doubt. Uh, but but what are you noticing right now from Andre Kuzmenko? I think, you know what, I mean, it is. You're exactly right. Goal scorers go through things, uh, you know, things that, that don't, not, not every player goes through. And um, uh, right now, confidence is probably one of those things. Um, he's, he's probably on uh, a number of different lists on, uh, on talk of the deaths of things that he can do better. And, and it just seems to be snowballing in a, in a negative effect. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a matter of time. He's got to pay his dues a little bit here and, and get back to basics before he starts scoring some more goals. But uh Hopefully the next couple of games he can uh, find his way and, and get a couple and, and get back to the Kuzmenko that we all know and uh, know that can contribute on the goal-scoring side. What's the toughest bit when it feels like you've fallen out of favor a bit with the coach? Um, I just think that when you know you've, when you're out of favor, you know everything that they're looking at is just that much bigger. And um, it's just it's hard I mean, to, to be to be in a coach's doghouse is one of the toughest things a player can ever go through because you sometimes you just don't know what you're going to do or if you're ever going to get out of it. But uh, the only thing that you can do and the only thing that you can control is your is what you do on the ice and 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 what what you do well and uh, get back to the basics. And if it's goal scoring and shoot pucks after practice, you know, work hard in practice, do all the little things right, and then eventually your your chances will come and make sure you bury them. It's funny, too, because I think we can all sit here and say, okay, Talkett obviously wants someone who's skating hard, forechecking hard, and there were moments in the last game, and I pointed them out yesterday on the show, I was like, it's clearly not living up to what the coach wants. And then you see the two chances Andre Kuzmenko has. One gets blocked by Niku Hishier, and he gets that chance in the slot, and he puts it wide, and you see him on the bench, and you know there he is putting, I imagine, so much focus on goal scoring. And you can just see like how much it weighs on him for that opportunity. And you think, okay, well, you're prioritizing something that I'm, it's obviously part of your natural ability to go score goals. And the coach is asking you to do one thing. And, and there's that discrepancy of, okay, well, which standard are you trying to live up to in that moment? Yeah, I mean, it is. It's confusing at the moment. There's there's things that he can control and there's things that he can't. And, uh, you know, a, a, a hockey player's day consists of on game day, getting ready, getting a pregame skate, getting your meal uh, having a little nap and then hopefully come out and uh, and everything feels good, right? You make sure you tape your stick the same way. You make sure if you get chances and you get out there, you work as hard as you possibly can. It's difficult to score goals. And uh, if you're not, 
Um, there are players out there that uh, can play a, a good style of hockey game that consists of, um, of you know, defense, offense, all that kind of stuff. But there's some players that uh, if they're not scoring goals and they're particularly just goal scorers, it's hard for them to feel good and comfortable in every situation. And uh, there's a few of them out there that uh, – uh, and, and Kuzmenko seems to be one at the moment that if he's not contributing on an offensive style, offensive side of the puck, um, it weighs very heavy on him and affects a lot of part of his game. It's odd right now, too, because the Canucks have had so much success scoring goals. And I started the show uh, talking about, like, I, you know, if if they had one more natural goal scorer, Kuzmenko might be out of the lineup right now instead of you know, playing on the fourth line. We have a text here saying, uh, are you saying they need a score if Kuzmenko has eight goals instead of four goals this season? And, you know, them leading the league, I feel like has maybe miscolored the picture of how, you know, prolific they are as a overall team. Because if Kuzmenko had eight goals, you still look at it and say, well, it's it's Lafferty in the top six, it's Hoaglander in the top six, or it's PDG in the top six. For you, are they, are they still missing that one true sniper somewhere in the lineup? Well, I think they, I think they have... Uh, you know enough goal scorers. I mean, I, I'm not sure where we're we're going to go with this, but um, you know, like I think everybody has had this start of look at this team now. Like here we are. We're we're always we're in games. We're blowing out teams at the beginning of the year, and all of a sudden, after 10, 15 games, teams are starting to figure each other out. You're starting to see the Oilers come back. You're starting to see the Flames get a little bit more of the traction. You're starting to see Minnesota, who struggled at the beginning, just all of a sudden, you know what? They made a coaching change, and they're starting to find their way. It's just the NHL. I mean, I think it's just you got guys here that can score goals, and and at the moment, not everybody is going to score at the right time, right? And you're going to have people go through slumps. And you know what? You just you just keep battling through it. Uh, there's enough players on this team that can score goals and help this Canuck team win and get to you know further up the standings. Uh, it's just got to see what happens. Uh, these next two games are are huge for them. Minnesota's on a roll right now, and and you want to make sure you get your two points at home with them. And Carolina's a good uh, you know they're a contender in in anybody's book here. And you want to make sure that you take advantage of these home games and uh, and and. And hopefully some of these guys that haven't been scoring lately get on the board and, and start feeling comfortable and then, you know, get into the next month. The, the reason I bring up the natural goal scorer is, especially in, in a game like uh, New Jersey, now some of it was, you know, self-inflicted. They made it easy for New Jersey to convert some of these chances. But, you know, some of the goals for New Jersey just looked a lot easier in comparison to the five Vancouver goals, right? It's getting the puck in the middle, and it's it's so tough. And look, that stuff translates to the playoffs. I get it. But in over a course of 82 games, it just feels like it's difficult to play that way constantly. And, you know, Rick Tocca today talking about you know, struggling with consistency, it just feels like when you're trying to generate that style of offense consistently, you might find trouble spots because it's hard to sustain that level of energy and compete. Yeah, it is difficult. I mean, it's 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 the best league in the world for a reason, and 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 you have to be at the top of your game uh, all the time. I mean, these guys these guys are are massive competitors, and uh, and and they don't want the other side to get any kind of advantage. I mean, the 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 battle. I didn't see the whole game against New Jersey. I was I was unfortunately I was coaching another team, but uh, I got to come back and see five four five five, and then. For some reason, that uh, that shift after five five just didn't work out. But you know the 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 goal scorer Jesper Bratt. He, I mean, if you watch that replay over and over again, 
you'll see a guy who's an offensive-minded player uh, do everything that he could possibly do to lose a check. And, um, uh, you know, that rebound that came out just happened to be something that was just the perfect, he was in the perfect spot. I think uh, the way that that puck came off that pad normally doesn't do that. But um, he worked very, very hard to get into that spot. And, and again, offensive players think differently than everybody else. He lost his check, and it happened to, happened to pop out to him, and, and he scored the, the goal that kind of dictated, obviously, the outcome of the game. But, um, you know, offensive guys got great minds, and, and, and sometimes it just happens. So what's important at this time of the year uh, as we get ready for the dog days of the season and, you know, they're, they're getting ready tonight to play uh, game 28 and, and you just look at this and you think, all right, it, it is a long season. Uh, what's important to try to maintain sharpness? I, it's just, it's just the same thing day in and day out. I mean, you, 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 you play an 80 game season for a reason, right? You, you, you know, you're going to have ups and downs. Uh, it, 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 there are times where, where things are just, you're on the road or you're at home and things just aren't working. You just got to continually do what you can, what you do and, and, and only control what you can control. And as a group right now, um, they're in games. There's no, there's no question about it, but there's also times when they, you know, things happen, mistakes happen, and you just got to try and be that team that doesn't make those mistakes. But uh, I'm, I'm happy with the way I'm going to the game on Saturday and, and it's the first time I'll see these guys live. And I'm excited to see how, how Carolina is. I'm excited to see how the Canucks play and, you know, they're going to, they're going to give it their best and, and, and they're going to be on the right side of things more often than not. Uh, what have you thought of uh, Nikita Zadorov making his uh, first impressions here in Vancouver? Uh, you know what? I think it's it's going to take a little bit of time. I like I like the size. Mm-hmm. I like his. I like what he brings. Um, again, I haven't uh, I haven't been able to see as many uh, games as I'd like to, but I I do like his presence on the ice. I think he's going to be able to give something to the Canucks that they that they desperately need, which is a big body and uh, somebody who is who is a physical presence on the backside that can play uh, both sides of the both sides of the game, offense and defense. It's always the constant conversation, right? Of like the, the hockey IQ guys. I'm not calling you know Zadorov bad hockey IQ guy, but you know he's got certain physical measurables that a lot of players just aren't going to have. And I imagine the game's just a lot easier for guys when when they have a trait like that. He, you know what? He he does what he needs to do. He 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 is a big body. He knows his role. Um, I think he's a big body that skates very well. Um, I think he does have an offensive upside for sure. I mean, he has scored goals in the past. Um, he brings an intimidating presence. Anytime you got a guy that size on the ice, there's just absolutely no question he brings a, a physical, uh, intimidating side to him. Um, I haven't, I don't know him. I've, I haven't been know anybody that's ever played with him. But he's, uh, he sounds like he's a guy in the room that everybody enjoys having, and um, he's going to going to fill a void that the Canucks haven't had in a long time, which is that big defenseman who can play a physical game and contribute on the offensive side. Uh, there was that great hit he threw on Curtis Lazar in the neutral zone uh, last game. Uh, who were the guys uh, when you were playing? Uh, you go into the corner that you're like, oh man, this guy's about to just throw the lumber at me. I think I played against the, the meanest guy, which was uh, Scott Stevens ever. Uh, <laughs> he was just one of those guys that you knew where he was, or you had to know where he was on the ice because it didn't matter whether it was going to be a stick, an elbow, 
a punch, a, a great body check. He was just a physical, physical guy, and, and when he hit you, you felt it. There's different stylistic reasons of why like some forwards probably don't like going against certain D-men too, right? It, it, it's, there's the size profile, but, but some guys just, you know, how you play the game matches perfectly with how they want to defend. Who is yeah. like a guy like that for you that you always just looked at and say, he, the way he defends me is just so tough on me? You know what? I mean, I, I, I don't, um, I never, I never really looked at it like that. I mean, I, I always, you always just try and, and outwit your guy, you know, you mm-hmm. outwit your other team. And, and, you know, there's definitely defenders who, who, who I thought were phenomenal defensive players and, and they weren't ever even known for it. Right. Like Ray Bork was a, was a fantastic two-way player. Uh, but I mean, more offensive than defense, but, you know, every time you played against him in the Boston Garden, it was it was a tough slog all the way around. I mean, there's there's just ways that they know how to position themselves that uh, they're going to be great defensively. But then as soon as the puck turns over the other way, they're jumping up in the play, and now you're back checking. So that's it's just it's just a way of it's just the way players are. You just, you just try to go out there, do your best, and hopefully things happen. Ken, uh, you always do our best when you join us. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Vic. Enjoy the games. It's Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fixit from Dunbar Lumber, two-time cup champion, former NHLer, here on the People's Show on a Canucks game day, 7 o'clock. Uh, things get underway over at Rogers Arena versus the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I'll be on post games there with uh, Sat, uh, myself and Jamie Dodd on intermissions. Sat and Dan, pregame show, uh, starting up at 6.30 on your televisions as well here on Sportsnet 650. Busy news day uh, across the world of sports. It's nonstop right now. Uh, Something happening in the NFL, something happening in the NHL. Also, things going down in the world of golf. And uh, we always turn to our good friend, Ben Bastron, who joins us uh, behind the glass. John Rahm, Masters champion. Uh, it has it been made official, or is it just very obvious he's he's making the jump? To I live? think it's officially reported that he's going to live. Right. Okay. I think the number he signed for isn't quite official, but we mm-hmm. can ballpark it right around half a billion dollars, maybe more. <laughs> Say that again. Half a billion yeah. with a B. Yeah. Dollars. It could be six hundred million. Actually, because it was initially thought that like a hundred million a year wasn't going to do it for John Rom. He said he wouldn't. He wouldn't do it. Yeah, and then they times that number by six. And he's had press conferences being like, "Nope, like I'm loyal to the PGA Tour. Absolutely, I'm, you know, like the morality of this all. Like I want to play on the PGA Tour, and I, you know, respect the history of the game and everything. Everyone's got a number. <laughs> it's, it's it it puts it puts fans. Uh, across the the world, I guess in a bind here, because a lot of people would understand, like, hey, everyone's got a number, right? It's just, I I think it leaves everyone in just a murky spot here. Of okay, well, what's important for the sport right now? I know we've kind of had this conversation multiple times when Live Golf started, and they mm-hmm. poached a bunch of players, and you're just looking at this, okay, well, is that real? And every marker that we hit, every road marker that we hit across. Uh, across the road it just feels it adds to the confusion totally does and then it comes out with a few months back being like they're going to do a merger that like bring the players together so we can actually have the best version of a sport where the best players play against each other that's the big one i think if we had just seen players leave we would just say okay like good luck with your career it's it's money right but there was that that momentary spot in the middle 
this summer, five, mm-hmm. six months ago, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, we have merger ideas. Right. And it just threw everything in flux. Right. And I think what's changed also in that time is that these guys now know they can represent their countries on an international level in a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup, whereas that was a threat in the beginning. They know that they can play in major championships, whereas that was a threat in the beginning. For the first few guys that took the money, that they knew what they were giving up, and now that these guys are taking the money, they're like, well, I still get to play in the tournaments I really care about. And those are the four majors and you know the international stuff, and get to take all this money. And so like I, I understand from an individual level why a player would do this, from a fan's perspective, from a person who loves the game, it's sad because you look at the names that have gone, DeShambo, Johnson, Cam Smith, Patrick Reed, I mean Phil, sure, like, but now John Rahm, like it, it, the it's list the elite goes of the on. elite. It's the best players in the world, some of the best players in the world. It, take any other sports league, if you took Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Herbert out of the NFL mm-hmm. and they went to go play in the XFL. Right? For $500 million. Yeah. You're just taking three of the top six quarterbacks in the NFL gone. And so, yeah, you still have Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. That's great. But, you know, it's not the best of the best. And every Sunday you're not watching the best players play. That's hard. The thing that I feel like golf is going to have an issue here with is is all the other tournaments. Mm-hmm. Not, look, people are going to tune in for the Masters. People are going to tune in for the Majors. But is, is those four tournaments, five tournaments, you can extend it to a couple others, going to be enough to drive revenue to support all the other tournaments. Because I imagine viewership is going to slowly, I'm not saying it's going to happen next year. Dissipate. But yeah, like over the course of five, six, seven years, I is, think is it going to hurt like the, I don't know, give me a random tournament here that in, in, in the middle of The April Wells Fargo Championship. Yeah. I mean, that even feels like a reasonably big one. I'm not, I'm not going to like some some regional one that's like, hey, maybe I'll tune in. For purists like you, yeah. you're checking it out. Um, like the Valero Open or whatever. It's like, yeah, you know, who's, perfect. Are we watching that? Really? Is that the one? The Wells Fargo. I was like, oh, I feel like I'm going to get the Wells that's Fargo. A too, that's too popular of one. <laughs> well, there's the one Valero. thing this season that might save the PGA Tour, and it's that if Tiger Woods actually plays 12 times, mm-hmm. like he says he wants to. Well, then viewership for those tournaments is going to be sky high. Yeah. Whenever he plays. So po- that'll help. Poco Dave texting in. And and look, this is the argument. We, we see it a lot. And Poco Dave, you're not wrong, man. It says having number means give, you've given up on your morals. Look, you're absolutely right. Totally. I also don't know what, it's look like, what it feels like to look at $600 million. Yeah, I mean, I'd ask Poco Dave or anybody else who's taking that mindset that if you got a job offer for whatever you do in a place that you didn't want to be really badly or you got a really bad job offer but that there's a number mm-hmm. that you would go do that for probably and if there isn't then like you know you're built different than 99 percent of the population absolutely and it just I, I i don't i don't know what it looks like to to look at that money and i can understand why people jump at it it's just for for the rest of us here that are, are trying to watch a sport it, it leaves uh leaves us in the gray a lot to be desired because yeah. you just don't have the best product out there anymore, and and that's well, you do four times a year for the mm-hmm. four biggest tournaments. I was I was joking. It, it leaves a, a lot of bigger questions than just sports. Uh, yeah, it's like because because Dave's right, but how how far does your morality go when two hundred million dollars per year is put in front of you? And when does this stop in sports, Beck? Is what I wanted to raise too. Like where? No, like, when, it is this gonna does not stop? Is this gonna? Like, again, $600 million reported. Right. We're not that far away from a billion-dollar athlete. But we've had now 
some of this money come into F1 stuff, mm-hmm. golf, what ha- like soccer, what happens when the NFL, you know, gets infiltrated, the NBA, like where do we, it, there's, there's no line to be drawn here. This is going to keep happening, I think. It's going to be very interesting to see how far this goes. Money talks. It's the truth of the world. Truth of the world, unfortunately. Uh, Vic Nazar here uh, with you. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw are on the way. Again, they got a television pregame show later today as we get ready for Minnesota Wild coming to town who are all sorts of hot all of a sudden uh, after the coaching changes. They can't stop losing right now. John Hines uh, getting some praise from Rick Tockett earlier today too uh, in his presser. Uh, Wild winning four in a row. They get to test their medal against the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Uh, I'm sticking around here for a second. Do a little Thursday crossover with Canucks Central. That's on the way. Uh, thank you for jumping into the inbox today. 650-650. Keep them coming tomorrow. I think I'm on Canucks Central tomorrow, so someone's filling in for me. Imagine Josh filling in for me uh, tomorrow. So we'll see you uh, on Monday here on The People Show.